You are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hello there, welcome to this week's podcast. This week I'm going to be talking to Rachel Milner again. Rachel's been on a few times and we usually talk about fascinating things like body diversity and health at every size. And today we are talking about children actually. And those topics, both body diversity and health at every size, in children. And Rachel's a psychologist. She has a practice and works with people with eating disorders. But she's also a mum. And so we get into some stories about the things that she has to um, deal with when it comes to just being a mum who has kids that go to school. And um, what can happen in the school environment that... For those of us who work in the field of eating disorders, might not think of as ideal. So, here's Rachel. She starts by telling us a story about something that actually I'd seen on on her Facebook account, and she explains it to me. Yeah. So I had posted on Facebook recently. My kids had gone through a situation where the teachers at their school were making comments about the order the kids were eating their lunch in, and so my kids had let me know, and I had given some feedback to the school to please not comment on what order they were eating the lunch in, that they could eat whatever they want in whatever order they wanted. Um, So I was checking in with my kids the other day about had the teacher stopped saying anything. And um, one of my kids said, well, yes, the the teachers have stopped, but now some of the other kids were teasing him for having candy in his lunch each day. Um, So then I had posted on Facebook saying that even though as parents we can disagree on how to feed kids, could we at least agree to not teach kids that they're somehow morally superior or better people because of the food that they're eating? And that that would also include adults not talking about food as good or bad food in front of their kids because that reinforces the message that somehow food is a moral issue, which it's not. So kids pick up on stuff. That's, I guess, because when kids learn, right, that's what their brains do. Kids kids learn things. <laughs> and so it seems that kids can pick up on attitudes as to well, this is good, this is bad. And I guess that's how, like, a lot of our um, ingrained sort of just behaviors come about, right? I don't know too much about child development. Yeah, I mean, kids absolutely kids are paying attention when we think they're not like they're always listening they're observing they're learning that's how they make sense of their world is to watch the adults around them and hear what they're talking about what seems to get a reaction from adults that's how kids tune in and learn so um, before I had kids I didn't realize how much kids learn that way but now having kids I realize how much they are always watching and how perceptive they are. So when we think that we're hiding things, we're not. Kids know. Where do you think that thing came from that's like, oh, you've got to eat this in a certain order? Like, Because I, I, like, I think that's a lot of people get told that. I know I was told that as a kid I had to eat like this first and then I'd be allowed something else. Where does that come from? Yeah, I mean, I think that parents and teachers and they're, everybody's trying to figure out how to teach kids in the best possible way. They're trying to do the right thing. And I think that there is some perception that if we teach kids to eat in a certain order, that somehow they're going to be quote unquote healthier, that there's some value judgment that adults are placing on food, that somehow the sandwich is 
quote unquote, better than the cookies. And so they want to make sure that the child eats the sandwich and they don't care so much if the child gets to the cookies or not. And I think there's this fear that if we let kids just do what they want, that somehow they're going to be totally out of control and eat nothing but cookies all day long. But that's more, that says more, I guess, about how the adults feel about food than it says about the kids. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot that adults living in diet culture are often trying to eat in a restrained way. And so their belief about themselves is that if they permitted themselves to eat the cookies first, they would just keep eating and eating and eating and eating more and more cookies that they wouldn't ever stop. And I mean, that's just not true. And when people have access to whatever foods they want, then they're they're not going to eat them in that way. Whereas if they are off limits and then you give permission to eat them, there is a feeling of wanting to eat all of them right away because you don't know when they're going to be taken away again. Yeah. And so, you know, because the brain wants what it can't have. And I I did that podcast with um, Maggie Westwater, who did the state of science um, study, just actually starting to show that that it's the restriction or intermittent access that causes people's brains to want more of a food when they do actually finally have access to it. So do you think that in a sense, we could actually be setting kids up for similar sort of problems that maybe some adults have around food? because we're setting up that restrictive sort of mindset. Yeah, absolutely. I think the vast majority of kids, unless they have a certain medical condition or something else going on, but for the vast majority of kids, they they already have the internal knowledge of how to feed themselves, that all the adults need to do is make the food available. We don't need to impose rules. We don't need to impose rigid guidelines or anything. We just need to give the kids the food and trust them to figure out whether they want to eat it, how much they want to eat, in what order they're going to eat it, when they're done with eating. Like the kids already know. It fascinates me. I don't have children, but sometimes I am exposed to them because I have friends who have children. (laughs) And it fascinates me watching little kids eat because you could give them, say, a lunchbox with all the maybe fruit in it, sandwiches in it, chocolate in it, sweets in it. And they'll just like pick up one thing and, and eat it. And then they'll maybe put that down and like forget about it and maybe try something else. Or it, it just seems um, so blissfully thoughtless and just, oh, I'm just going to have what I want. Oh, I feel like a bit of this apple right now. Oh, I feel like some chocolate right now. It just seems that because they don't have any of that judgment again about I should have this or I should eat this first, this, that and the other. Everything's kind of equal, I guess, in their little young, innocent minds. Yeah, exactly. There's so much freedom in it for them. They're just exploring the tastes and the textures and the flavors. And for them, it's all an adventure without any judgment. They don't know any of the adult ideas that one food is better or worse than another. It's all equal to them and they just want to explore it. Oh, it must be so nice. (laughs) Right? Ignorance is a bliss sometimes. So just... Yeah, I know. I mean, it's so fascinating to watch kids, like you were saying, and all kids, they would all explore it in different ways. I mean, I have twins. Obviously, you know, I raise them very similarly, although they're very different people. And their just natural way of eating is very different. One of my kids is very adventurous. He'll taste anything. 
he really likes to try new things. And my other child is a little bit more hesitant and he has to see a new food several times before he's actually going to taste the food. And if it's something brand new, he doesn't even want to like have anything to do with it, but he'll kind of watch what other people are doing, but Mm. he's not going to be the one to try it first. And both of them, it's fine, you know, just watching them do what's right for them and not judging it in any way or saying one way of eating is better or worse than another. It's just how they're meant to be. Yeah, I feel very lucky. I know that when I was at, especially at primary school and secondary school, actually, it was, there was never any interference with how we ate. We, we either had our lunchbox or you were given, or you could have school dinners and the school dinners were usually pizza and chips and there wasn't any of this Jamie Oliver had left everything the fuck alone and stayed out of it and there wasn't <laughs> any of like Jamie's school meal makeovers and you know I'm showing my age now but um, <laughs> there was none of that when I was at school it was like my, my my mother could have given me a lunchbox full of cake and nobody would have batted an eyelid which is mm-hmm. pretty lovely and I know that now it might be worse. I say it might be worse in the US than the UK, but I think Jamie Oliver has messed that up for the UK. So it's probably as much kind of policing of lunchboxes now, which is um, a little bit weird, I think. Mm-hmm. Because, I, well, if you think about what a teacher has to do, apparently they're really busy people and they've got tons to do. So <laughs> I think that then adding on top of that, oh, and you have to police lunchboxes and tell kids' parents what they should and shouldn't be feeding their children. I think, wow, like... That must be quite stressful to have that as part of your responsibilities as a teacher as well. But then also, um, like, when, why is that anybody's business? I guess I'm just trying to understand why it's gone to this length that people are getting notes home saying you're giving your kid too much of this, that or the other. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because it kind of goes in both directions. So my kids in preschool... Four times a year, the preschool had the local hospital come in to teach the kids about quote-unquote healthy eating, and I requested that my kids not be there for those lessons. So I asked that they be removed from the classroom and do something else while the local hospital was there because that was not a message that I wanted them to be exposed to. And when I asked the head of the school about that and asked my kids to not be present, she was so relieved that I was asking for my kids not to be there and said that many of the parents are get mad at the school if the school doesn't kind of police what's in their kids, what the kids are eating and what order they're eating it in. And so the schools are are sort of responding to these messages from parents. And then I think it also happens the other way that then the schools like are feeling pressure that they're having to monitor and then sometimes are sending notes home to parents saying, please don't pack this or please don't pack that. And I've just had to be really firm with the schools that I'm going to make the decision about what goes in my kid's lunchbox and that they don't need to be involved in that. You know, that I appreciate their concern, but that I'm going to make those decisions for my children. I wonder what the motivations are for the school. I mean, I wonder if their motivations are based on, oh, these studies have shown that if children eat this type of food, then they learn more in class. Um, I know there are sort of things out there like that, not that, I I mean, I've I've read some studies like that, and most of them, I look at them and just think, well, they're actually kind of, all they're really showing is that if people eat breakfast, that's good for their brains. Yeah. Yeah. But the conclusion always comes across, it has to be a quote unquote healthy breakfast. And it's like, well, no, that's not actually what was shown. You just showed that 
kids that eat breakfast tend to do better. And I know that there are studies that show that sort of thing, which is really just confirming that food is good for us. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that my sense is that a lot of it is sort of this panic around sugar. That seems to be where all the focus is within both the schools and the parents, this fear about kids eating sugar and what's going to happen. And really, the reality is nothing's going to happen. They're going to eat sugar and then they're going to move on with their day. In Boulder, Colorado, I know that there are many schools that you're not even allowed to send in birthday cake. If it's your, you know, if there are parties, you're not allowed to send foods with any sugar in them. I know. It's really sad. It seems like a lot of the schools are moving in that direction. And I certainly understand for like true allergies, why sometimes they have to be careful about what you're permitted to bring in. But I don't think the sugar thing is about allergies. I'll tell you what, if when I was when I was at school, if someone had come in with a birthday thing of say, I don't know, beetroot brownies or something (laughs) I pitched a fit um sugar's really nice tasting so I think that's a shame but it is and when we allow kids access to it then for them it's just the same as any other food you know it doesn't have magical properties if kids can eat it when they want to Mm. if you make it off limits and you say you can't ever have this except for at a birthday party, well, then when they're served cake, of course, they're going to want more and more and more and more cake. But if it's just a regular part of their day to day eating experience, it's not any more exciting than any other type of food. Yeah, it's a bit I think everything's a bit like that. My, my parents were never sort of, my parents are quite laid back, and especially things like alcohol, we were always allowed glass of wine with dinner and things. And then when I got to 18, which is the legal drinking age in the UK, you know, it was just alcohol was just something that was normal. And it was my friends who had never been allowed to have alcohol that went out and like binge drank at the weekends and got legless and ended up in the hospital. Right. It's it's funny how um, many examples most of us can pull of how when the brain is not allowed something, when you're you're not allowed something, you want it more. Yet Mm -hmm. it we still, it's a fear thing. I think we still go to the restrictive, don't allow that thing, don't allow someone to have that. Yeah. And I, I know that we hear a lot about this idea of quote unquote health. I really think that it is more about a fear of weight gain, that what parents are trying to do is somehow prevent their children from getting fat. And they, they perceive that if they can control what their kids are eating and only give them certain kinds of foods, that they also will then be able to influence the size and shape of their kids' bodies. Yeah, which is really sad, isn't it? It is. It's very sad because, you know, kids are just genetically meant to be whatever they're meant to be. And we don't need to try to control it or somehow do something about it. We just need to let kids develop however they're meant to be. Our job is to control our own anxiety around it and work through our own stuff so that we're not putting it onto our kids. And I get, uh, because I I work mostly with adults with eating disorders, and many of those adults have children. Um, And I think that usually, it's usually the other way around, actually, they can often feel kind of triggered by their children sort of not eating foods, which... Mm. So, you know, if, if the kid's like, oh, I don't want cookies today, mommy, and he wants something, wants a piece of fruit instead, the adult who's in recovery, who's, who really wants all the cookies and the sweets because their body's mm. in malnutrition and needs those sort of quick calories, then feels slightly triggered by that, like, which is, which is kind of weird, but I do understand it because I know that when I had anorexia, it was like other people eating more food gave me permission to eat it. 
And then if other people didn't eat it, then that took away my permission. And so I think that's Mm -hmm. an interesting dynamic as well. Yeah, that is interesting. And I think, you know, it just does go to show how our own, how we're eating can impact our perception of what other people are doing around us and our reaction to it. You know, that when you're malnourished, that impacts your perception of what's happening around you. Um, You know, and I think the, as adults in recovery, the probably the longer that they're in recovery and the better nourished their bodies get, then the less it's going to matter to them what their kids are doing or anybody around them is doing. Yeah. That hyper-focus on food completely goes away with full recovery. Thank goodness. Yeah. What do you, if you could give, if you could give one message to parents about this whole allowing your children to eat thing, like, what do you think that would be if there was one take home? Yeah. I mean, what I would want to say to parents and really to everybody who's around children is to just trust children, trust them, that trust them to figure it out, trust their bodies to know what they need and that our job really is to manage our own anxiety that as adults, we've been influenced by diet culture. We've been influenced by weight stigma and fat phobia. And so our job really is to work through that and to manage it so that we're not impacting our kids with it. And I think that if we can just trust our kids, then we don't have to worry so much. I mean, it's such a freeing experience to just let our kids figure it out and know that that they're going to be okay and that you know even so for parents who do have kids who are genetically just in bigger bodies that that's what their bodies are meant to be you know rather than trying to teach your kids how to change the size or shape of their body which we know people can't do um teaching kids how to be resilient and teaching kids how to navigate a world where there's a lot of weight stigma and teaching kids how to have a voice and speak up for themselves and to let people know if they're not being treated well. You know, that if we think about other things about our kids, we wouldn't try to change our children to fit what the world is asking them to be. We try to teach our kids how to navigate a world that can be cruel sometimes and can be judgmental or critical. And it's only or primarily around weight, which we perceive to be something that is controllable, even though we know really that it's not that we send our kids the message that somehow if they can just stay in smaller bodies that they can avoid the stigma and they can avoid being teased and they can avoid um, being bullied because of the size of their body and unfortunately the reality is that all of our kids are going to be teased for something all of our kids are going to be made to feel bad about something and our job as parents is not to teach our kids they have to change that thing about them when I was at primary school, I, I was, they used to call me, um, oh, you know, like we have crane flies in the, in the UK. They're those like flies with the long legs. I'm not sure if you call them crane flies in the US. Um, but in the, the sort of less formal, um, word for them in the UK is, is we call them daddy long legs. And, oh, yeah. uh-huh. and at school, cause I was tall and lanky, everybody used to call me tabby long legs. And, <laughs> which I hated, but yeah, you, you, I, could, I, would, I could come home and say to my, my parents, they're teasing me at school and calling me tabby long legs because I've got long legs. And mm-hmm. nobody would say something like, oh, we should change your height. <laughs> Let's exactly. do something about that. Let's change that about you. It's, it's accepted that oh, you can't do that. 
But the the weight thing, kid comes home from school and says, you know, I'm being teased about be, um, the size of my body. And it's it's going to be, um, I think that most parents immediately would go to, okay, well, sweetie, we can put you on a diet. We can fix that. Yeah, I think that it, and I really do feel for parents because I think it is hard. I mean, even when I was a kid, I can very clearly remember I I was not a small kid. I was probably bigger than average. And I re- very clearly remember being, t- felt, I felt like I wasn't being included with my friends and telling my mom that my, I was hurt because my friends weren't including me. And her response was, well, maybe if you lost some weight, your friends would want to spend more time with you. And I, I mean, I have such a vivid memory of that, but I, I feel for parents because they're getting messages from every direction. And I think it's even harder for parents now than it was when I was a kid because they're getting messages from their pediatricians and they're getting notes home from the schools because the schools are being forced by the states to do BMI assessments. And so there's sort of this like collective panic um, that parents are being exposed to. And then we're, what I'm saying to parents is you don't need to panic. It's okay to just allow your kids to develop however they're meant to be. But it, it's hard. You know, I mean, when you're taking your kid to the doctor and the pediatrician is saying, oh, you really need to watch their weight or their BMI percentile is, is too high or whatever, you know, messed up message they're being given, parents want to do what's right for their kids. And if a doctor's telling them something, they are immediately feeling like, okay, well, then we have to somehow fix this. They've also got not just even those influences from doctors and all that stuff, but like, I don't know, stuff like, oh, what mum's net is the one that I hear a lot about. Um, mm. sort of the the advice from other people because with the internet we can do that which in a way is great but also um, can be bad I guess can be not helpful when you just got to feel like you've got all of this information flying at you yeah yeah it's sort of like information overload and when it comes to this topic the vast majority of the information is wrong so it's like all this information and most of it is not even accurate information. Tell me about BMI report cards. As a non-mum, mm-hmm. who doesn't know much about that, what they do, like what, what? I mean, come on, <laughs> report card, that's supposed to be about how you're doing in math and, right? <laughs> and how bad I am at history and geography. <laughs> I know. Yes, that's what report cards used to be limited to. Um Now, my understanding is that it varies by state, but in the state of Pennsylvania, where I live, they do send home these BMI report cards. So I think every state is a little bit different with this and and what their requirements are, but essentially the schools are calculating the BMI of the students and then sending home a report about what BMI category the child falls in. And if the child... Uh, falls into the quote-unquote overweight or quote-unquote obese categories, then the note is sent home with sort of this warning and recommendations for what actions should be taken. So the schools obviously didn't get the memo that BMI is a load of bollocks yet. Right. Yeah, I mean, even more problematic, I think, is that, you know, the entire system hasn't gotten the memo. So, like, our medical system hasn't gotten the memo our government has not gotten the memo, like the teachers and the school systems have not gotten the memo. So so the entire structure, the entire system is still looking at BMI as a marker of something that it was never intended to be used for. Yeah, the guy, I forget his name, the guy that invented it, but I bet he must be giggling in his grave. Just right. 
that that we use BMI so widely and he's just like didn't even invent it to be intended for that use. It's right. kind of incredible how 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 he, it's it's a bit like Chinese whispers, isn't it? It's it's kind of a story can grow and, and a perception of something can grow that could be completely incorrect. And before you know it, it's completely written into systems and the whole world is, is operating in that way. Um, and it's so difficult to change then once that hundreds of doctors and, and all of these people that are assessing health have been taught that to use a certain tool, very difficult to unteach that, get them to use something different. Yeah, particularly when there's so much money involved. You know, I think that there's a reason for the healthcare system and the insurance companies. They're so invested in making BMI out to be something important to look at because Mm -hmm. there's so much money involved. Um, Even though we know that BMI is not a marker of health at all whatsoever, they are medical doctors and providers are still able to diagnose quote-unquote obesity based on BMI and they can bill for that. So as a as a parent and as somebody who also works in the field of eating disorders you if you you must just see completely red if you get a BMI report card coming home with a kid. Oh my gosh I well I write a lot of letters to schools asking that kids be excused from the BMI assessment um when I am writing letters for the kids that I work with when they're going back to school after having missed some school for treatment, it is standard. Every letter I write includes a line in there to please excuse the child from any class focused on nutrition, focused on eating disorders, and any of the BMI assessments that are done at school because only there's only harm that comes for kids being exposed to those things. And especially for a child who's trying to recover from an eating disorder, it's even more harmful. Um, So I just put that in there standard that kids just shouldn't be exposed to that. I wish that the schools didn't do it at all. Um, The kids know it's supposed to be done privately, but I hear stories all the time about how public it is. And even if the scale is in a private place in the nurse's office, the kids know what's happening. So then they're all walking out and they're talking to each other about what their weight was. Really? Um, Yeah. yeah, So there's all this comparing. I heard a story recently where, you know, this BMI report card is supposed to be sent home directly to parents or caregivers. um, But I heard a story recently where a child was actually handed the report card and it was a child who was old enough to read and so walked home reading this entire report about their BMI. And this is a child who fell into the quote unquote obese category. And so with it was all of the recommendations about how this the kids' parents should enroll this child in a weight loss program and where it was offered and all of it. And I mean child had all the information and read it all before they even got home from school that's horrible yeah it's really harmful oh yeah I can't imagine getting something like that and reading something like that yeah that would be devastating as a as a kid absolutely I mean it's it would be hard for an adult to read something like that so for a child who really doesn't have a way of even making sense of it or putting it into context it's so damaging Mm-hmm. And I wonder how often that happens. I know that if I if I'd been that kid, that I wouldn't have even given that to my parents. I would have been like really upset by it and probably gone off and decided to try and fix it myself, which would not have ended well with my genetics. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's really sad. 
Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I think you and I probably agree that there's not just one thing that causes eating disorders, but I often hear stories from the kids that I work with that one of the contributing factors was something such as a BMI letter going home or their nutrition class at school where they had to watch a movie that told them why sugar is supposedly horrible and they shouldn't eat animal protein and whatever crap they're being taught in their nutrition class or a doctor saying that they had gained more weight than they were supposed to. Mm -hmm. So like these little comments that we think are harmless are often the contributing factor to the development of an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And especially because as a kid, I mean, I think I was probably born cynical, but I was less cynical when I was a kid than I am now. And if my teacher said something as they were an adult and an adult in the authority and an adult that my parents had told me that I had to, you know, do as they said, if, if something came from a teacher, then they would, they would have a lot of weight to it. There would be, this is important and I have to believe that. Same with a doctor. Something came from a doctor. Yeah. I mean, they're in a position of power. They have authority. And as a parent, I struggle with trying to figure out, like, I want my kids to question authority. And there are many times my kids come home from school and I'm really telling them, like, actually, what your teacher said today was wrong and trying to figure out how to do that where I'm still respecting their teachers and teaching them to respect their teachers mm. and also teaching them that not everything that adults tell them is going to be true. Yeah, adults can say really dumb things. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so true. Don't tell your kids that, but that adults say really dumb things. Um, but, but yeah, they I, already I mean, know that you must it must drive you crazy though because say sometimes I'm on a mailing list of say a, a dietitian who maybe we've talked about you know maybe we have a client in common or something like that and I'll just get like the Christmas mailing list thing and it's usually fair full of um you know start your healthy new year and here's a way to make this and here's this low calorie soup for and it, I just, it makes me see red when I see that because I'm like, whoa, this better yeah. not go into anybody's inbox who's, you know, recovering from an eating disorder. So I just, yeah, I think that, I, I think that you must be really restrained not to go marching into the school and um, <laughs> bang down the door. Yeah, I definitely spend a lot of my days angry about all of these things and then try to use the anger to kind of fuel my activism and, and speaking up and hoping to work towards changing things. But there's a lot to be angry about. I mean, mm. there is a lot of harm being done. Um, it, it's really frustrating and it's really sad, you know, that for me teaching my kids that they can trust their bodies and that there are no such thing as good foods and bad food, that it's all just food and that whatever food they're hungry for is the food that they can be eating in that moment if they have access to it and all that. Like I'm really going against what the messages are from everybody around me. And it's really sad that that's sort of like the counterculture message. I know. Um, I was called, I was called radical once for saying that people should eat without restriction. And I was like, that's actually really sad (laughs) that that's considered radical. Very sad, but that is the bar. I mean, it's so true that in our culture, saying that people should eat without restriction is a radical statement, and it terrifies people. You know, and I think this idea of health, it seems to be where parents land, and so that's what I hear a lot of, this, like, eat your quote-unquote healthy food, or, um, and my kids are kind of playing around with the word because they've heard it 
not at home and they're trying to make sense of like, what are people actually talking about when they say health or healthy? Um, and I, they mentioned the word the other day and I asked them, well, what did they think it meant? And one of my kids said, well, it means that it's whatever food you like and tastes good to you. And I said, well, that sounds like a great definition of health. And um, my other child said, well, that's one definition, but I think there's another definition that people are talking about at school. So like, he's definitely sort of coming to like an awareness that people mean something when they're saying health and trying to like figure out what are they actually talking about? Because it's just not a message that he ever hears at home. That's, um, that's really cute. I like that definition of health. I know. I, was like, I wish that was the definition that like health wouldn't have to be a word that we all avoided if that was the definition. You know, yeah. It wouldn't have to be a word that I would get so angry about if, if that was the definition that we used. And it must be a minefield for parents because parents are just trying to do the right thing. They do want their kids to be healthy. They want their kids to live happy, healthy lives. And they're being given messages that this BMI number is going to be a contributing factor to that. And so they're just trying to do their best, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think parents love their kids. Parents want their kids to have a better life than they've had. They want to protect their kids from harm and they want to protect their kids from being quote unquote unhealthy. I mean, I think one of the hard things about being a parent is recognizing how little control we actually have over these things. I I mean, that's why I decided not to do it. Rachel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm just here to love them and guide them and support them, but I can't control everything as much as I wish I could. And we don't have control over every aspect of our kids' health. And weight and health are not the same thing. Oh, that's but- a good message. Weight <laughs> and health are not the same thing. For anybody that hasn't heard that one before, that might be that might be radical as well. That weight yeah, and I health so. are not the same thing. Right. Just the idea that weight is not a marker of health, I think, is radical for most people that, you know, it's it's has nothing to do with health. And somehow we've decided that the number on the scale has something to do with how healthy somebody is. Mm. And it, it's got nothing to do with it. So what do you think it will take? Because I know from people like Jamie Oliver that actually you can Somebody can go in and if they have a good mark, strong marketing message, they can really overhaul and change a whole even school system. Um, mm-hmm. cause he managed to do that with school dinners. Um, in my, in my opinion and might not for the better, but in many people's opinion, you know, obviously they jumped on that bandwagon. So what would it take to bring a health of every size? Make, make that the trendy thing that schools are going to now do. Um, and the trendy message that they're going to give people? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think the answer is probably pretty complicated. But I I think maybe the two things that would need to happen, at least on like the most basic level is I think people would need to be educated about the science behind health at every size. Because I think if they had access to the data for a lot of school systems, I think that that would have an impact. Um, And I just unfortunately, that's not the literature, the science that most people have access to, that it's still the diet culture that's driving most of what's reported in the media. So in order to read about health at every size, you really have to be seeking it out. Mm. And I think a lot of people don't even know about Mm. it to know to seek it out. So I think the schools would need to, and I mean, our, our healthcare system, everybody would need to have access to the 
health at every size data. But I, I think probably even more so than that, we need to figure out how to end weight stigma and fat phobia. Because as long as people are afraid of fat and are afraid of kids getting fat and adults getting fat, that message overtakes and overpowers anything else. And so I think if that part doesn't happen, if we're not addressing weight bias and weight stigma, then we can give all the health at every size information we want, and it's not going to have as powerful of an impact. Yeah, because fear is a really big motivator. Um, and so that, that fear of fat. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, I think, and, and the fear of fat is, it's everywhere. Ingrained in our culture, it's so pervasive in our healthcare system, somehow convinced the pediatricians and the doctors that it is, there is never a reason to tell a child or adolescent to lose weight. Like they should not ever be saying a word about how much weight they've gained or that they should lose weight. Like if we could just take those conversations out of visits to healthcare providers, I think that alone would have a huge impact. But right now that's not what's happening. I mean, right now medical providers are still being trained in medical school to track BMI and track weight and say something if a child is, I mean, actually the way that it's, the system is set up that if a child's in the 85th percentile for BMI or higher, the healthcare provider is actually prompted by their um, electronic medical system to say something. And they have to document that they've actually intervened in oh, some way. Oh, so it's way. not even the doctors making that choice? No. I mean, the doctors could choose how to handle it, but it is like set up within many um, hospital systems and medical systems that at the 85th percentile BMI that they are supposed to quote unquote, intervene, they're supposed to do something, which is often telling kids to lose weight. BMI's yeah. got so much to answer for. It's not, right. it's not really BMI though, it's, 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 it comes back down to fear of fat, doesn't it? It's... Yeah, because look, I mean, we've probably both hear, heard many stories like this where you've got a kid who's been tracking at let's say the 50th percentile BMI, and let's say they jump up to the 80th percentile BMI, all of a sudden, every medical provider they see is intervening. You've got a kid who's at the 50th percentile BMI and they drop down to the 25th percentile BMI. Nobody's saying a word, right? People aren't jumping in right away to say, hey, what's going on here? People just kind of go along like there's nothing wrong with weight loss, but weight gain people jump in and intervene, even though childhood and adolescence is a time when they are supposed to be gaining weight. So really, the weight loss should be much more concerning than any weight gain during that age. But that's not what happens in our healthcare system. As you said, when you're when you're a kid, you should be growing and you usually have growth spurts and there's usually weight gain and then a growth spurt. And that's kind of the pattern, right. isn't it? We see that in babies all the time. They get like mm -hmm. nice and chubby and then they have a growth spurt. And right. But, but there's not, that's, that's still, that's still the message that's incredible to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just value thinness so much that it interferes with our abilities to think rationally and reasonably. Well, I don't know about you, but I am so over valuing thinness really over it. 
And of course, valuing thinness does not cause eating disorders like anorexia, but it contributes to the onset of eating disorders such as anorexia in those that have the genetic predisposition for it. And so it is important, but it's not even just important from an eating disorder perspective, really, is it? It's just overall and general happiness of human beings when we are subjected to a standard of being and told you're supposed to be this way it's just adding more stress to life than anybody really needs for what for nothing anyway all right so that's my thoughts on that i'd love to hear yours you can email me info at tabithafra.com you can tweet at me at love underscore fat underscore you can comment on youtube videos in fact there's so many ways of getting hold of me i'm not even going to bother listing them all um but you'll work it out if you have something to say, say it. Let me know what you're thinking. If you have someone that you want me to talk to or interview on this podcast, then do that as well. If you have a research article that you think, that's damn interesting, and I want to hear an interview with the researcher, then let me know. I'm all ears open to what you guys want to hear. Thank you so much to Rachel Milner for coming on this podcast. I really adore that woman. She is pretty damn cool, and the world needs more people like that. I'm going to link to her stuff in the show notes this episode. So if you want to learn more about her, see what she's up to, then that's where you'll find that information. Thanks for listening, guys. Cheers. And until next time, cheerio.